If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we get into the episode, I would like to warn everyone that this case does discuss the disappearance and murder of a small child. Although I always endeavour to avoid unnecessary disturbing detail, some people may find the content distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part one of the story of DeAndre Lewis Lane Sr. My name is DeAndre Lewis Lane Sr. I'm currently being held in the Michigan Department of Corrections serving a life sentence for felony murder and felony child abuse. I've done 12 years of that so far. DeAndre Lane is currently serving a life sentence for the murder of his young daughter, Bianca. It's a story that would captivate and appall the area of Detroit in Michigan. It made news headlines from the very beginning. In an extensive interview this afternoon, Bianca Jones's father, DeAndre Lane, says despite what people may think, he is innocent. Till the very end. The jury finds Lane guilty of murdering his own baby girl. However, this case would raise more questions than answers. Because little Bianca has never been found. Obviously, straight off the bat, you've always maintained you're innocent of the crime that you were convicted of? Yes, emphatically. Also, the overwhelming evidence that proves I'm innocent of the crime I was convicted of. Me and my supporters you know, know that there's an injustice that's been done. You know, as crimes go, to be accused of what you're accused of is, especially when it comes to the, being incarcerated, it's seen as probably the worst. It would be one of the worst crimes but even people in here understand that have watched the case they even understand like i'm told all the time like bro i don't know how you do it i couldn't be in here you know i watched your case there's no way that they should have found you guilty you know like in other circumstances you've seen you're right this is a crime any crime against children is held or looked at as being you know a non-starter like you usually have a hard sentence you yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on a lot of people wind up going into protective custody to have those kind of cases i have never went into protective custody nor will i ever go into protective custody because i'm innocent of these crimes 
not only that, I've had corrections officers say the same thing, like, come to me and be like, listen, the situation is what it is, and this is a job, but I was watching your situation. You shouldn't be in here. I was going through a lot of depression when I first came in, and I talked to the prison psychologist, and she actually told me, these are her words verbatim, you don't need a psychiatrist, you need an attorney, because you shouldn't be in here. She went home and she like she looked up my case, she read some of the case file that was available, and she was like, I don't even understand how this happened. She was like, you, there's no way you should be in here right now. It then told me, she was like, I can't in good conscience prescribe you any kind of medications or anything like that. She was like, because you need to keep fighting for your appeal and things of that nature. She was like, in, in this type of stuff, getting on these drugs, she was like, this, it'll be more of a deterrent than it would an asset to you at this moment. She was like, you need to really be working on getting a lawyer. And this is what a prison psychiatrist told me. In the United States alone, more than 600,000 people will go missing each year. According to the Global Missing Children's Network, a staggering 460,000 of those cases being missing children. Luckily, many of these are resolved quite quickly. With around 50% of missing children cases being due to parental abductions, it's resolved quite quickly. However, each year, an estimated 40,000 missing persons cases will go unsolved. When a child goes missing under suspicious circumstances, it can cause a media storm. The likes of William Tyrrell here in Australia, a young three-year-old boy who went missing in 2014 from a home in Kendall, New South Wales. Good evening. It's a mystery that has gripped our nation for years. Where is William Tyrrell? One moment, William Tyrrell, dressed in his favourite Spider-Man suit, was playing games with his mum and sister. The next, he was gone. Detectives have found a small piece of blue material in scrub country as they continue their search for the remains of William Tyrrell. A woman under intense pressure and scrutiny leaves her Sydney home this morning as the grim dig for the remains of her foster child, William Tyrrell. William was in the care of a foster family and was in fact at his foster grandparents the time of his actual disappearance. Police would make public their theory that William had fallen from a first-floor balcony and his foster mother had covered it up. Now the officer leading the search for the missing three-year-old has revealed he believes William's foster mother knows where his body is. The shock revelation... She has denied this happened and any involvement in his disappearance at all. And almost a decade later, as this episode goes out, William Tyrrell is still nowhere to be found. Quite possibly one of the most famous cases of missing children is that of Madeleine McCann. Aged just three years old, Madeleine would go missing in 2007 from a Portuguese beach resort while holidaying with her family. Tonight, Madeleine's parents, Jerry and Kate, are still waiting desperately for news. And with every hour that passes, the questions only grow and the sense of dread mounts. The bizarre disappearance gained worldwide media attention. Words cannot describe the anguish and despair that we are feeling as the parents of our beautiful daughter, Madeline. Anyone 
who may have any information related to Madeline's disappearance, contact the Portuguese police. And the focus would very quickly shift to her parents, who came under intense scrutiny for their actions that evening. They became official suspects in September of 2007, but this would be lifted when the Portuguese Attorney General archived the case in July of 2007 for lack of evidence. Portuguese police have told BBC Panorama they have apologised to the parents of Madeleine McCann for the way they handled the case. The McCanns would continue the search themselves with the help of private investigators until the British police force Scotland Yard would open its own investigation in 2011. And the investigating officer announced he was treating the disappearance as a criminal act by a stranger. Years would pass with the occasional news story about possible suspects. Until in 2018, authorities would declare Christian Bruckner their prime suspect on Madeleine's abduction. After a former friend came forward with information in 2017. Our top story tonight, a sensational development in the Madeleine McCann case as a friend of the prime suspect says he confessed to killing the three-year-old, saying she didn't even scream. At the release of this episode, he is still yet to be charged with any offence in relation to Madeline's disappearance. And Madeline McCann remains unfound. It's easy to see why these types of cases can gain so much attention. How could anyone want to harm an innocent child? It rightly so causes outrage, anger and fear from the community. The story of baby Bianca Jones would be another one that would capture the attention of the community and the media surrounding it. It was a case that would have people looking immediately at Bianca's father, DeAndre, including authorities. Authorities that DeAndre and Bianca's mother both say stopped looking for their daughter immediately and instead started looking for a deceased child. DeAndre would say that on the morning of his daughter's disappearance, he would be carjacked by an armed man who would jump in his car and disappear with his baby daughter still secured in her seat in the back of the vehicle. It wouldn't be long before police located this vehicle, which was empty. Soon after, DeAndre Lane became their prime suspect. He would be arrested on an apparent outstanding warrant for something else. And then the media were waiting to pounce upon his release. Why would you let your daughter go away with carjacking? Leave me alone. This is 32-year-old DeAndre Lane, the father of missing two-year-old Bianca Jones, a man investigators have not ruled out as a suspect in her disappearance. Did you let her go away with I'm carjacking? I'm not letting my daughter go away with anybody. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Then why would you let leave her me alone, drive please. away with her? Leave me alone, Tell please. us what happened. Then. I can't talk to you. Please leave me alone. Just please. tell us what happened. Leave me alone, please. Were you scared when they had the gun? What do you think? Would y'all just stop? Would y'all leave me alone, please? Why would you think your daughter would be okay with them? Days and weeks after police would say DeAndre had killed his daughter, multiple people would say they had in fact seen baby Bianca. One being a private investigator, and the other was in fact a Detroit police officer. Both of these sightings would be reported to police and investigators looking into the Bianca case. But they would never be followed up on. So what happened to baby Bianca? Is DeAndre Lane innocent as he has always claimed to be? And how did the police gain enough evidence in which to convince a jury of his peers that he had committed this crime? 
Well, it would all come down to one thing. The evidence given by a dog. But we will get to all of that very soon. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So whereabouts did you grow up? I, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Spent my whole life in Detroit. I've lived other places in my adult life, but throughout my childhood, Detroit, Michigan. And as for your, your childhood, what was that like growing up in Michigan and your family life? It's, you know, my family life, it was kind of, it was tumultuous at times, but, you know, I had a fairly decent childhood. I mean, I never was hungry or cold or anything like that. I kept a roof over my head. Uh, there were some situations because my stepfather, he was a drug addict. You know, he was addicted to cocaine. And my mother, you know, she was doing everything she could to try to help get him off of it but that did bring a lot of problems into the household my mother was a very hard working strong woman and she instilled you know high morals principles and values in, in all of us even despite what we had gone through like sometimes we had financial hardships and things of that nature but one thing we always had each other and she 
pressed that on us that no matter what's going on, you always have your family. So family has always been very important to me. You know, no matter what was going on, we always had us. And that was a major thing with me growing up is the family and connection of our family. I grew up with my older sister, I have a brother right up under me, and then I have another younger sister. And then my father has three other daughters. I have a lot of siblings. I was going to And a lot of yeah. girls around. Are you, the only guy, are you the only guy? No, I have a younger brother, but I have my father's children, I'm the only, I'm the only guy. And my mother's children, you know, I'm the oldest boy. It's two of us. They said we had a close-knit family, so, you know, saying our child, my childhood was spent with my siblings. So growing up, Michigan, as you said, you know, had its ups and downs, but yeah. strong family values, close family. Right. What about um, school for you? What was school like? Oh, my goodness. School was one of those things to where, you know, I was one of those, I was one of the children that the teacher would always say, he has so much potential, <laughs> but he won't apply himself. You know what I'm saying? Because it was, school was so boring, but it was easy. You know, it was like one of those things, I would apply myself, I would get A's, and it is like, it's so easy, but then it's so many other distractions. Because, I mean, DPS, Detroit Public School System, you have like 30 kids in there with one teacher. Yeah. So it was like a lot of distractions going on. Chaos. I did fairly well, but I was kind of a knucklehead. You know, I'll just be honest, being honest with you, I was kind of a knucklehead. So I spent more time fooling around than I actually did in class. But... I did what I needed to do to pass, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And especially after my mom's passing, because my mother was, like, really big on that, on school and doing what you need to do. But after her passing, it's kind of like I did kind of lax up a whole lot. And my dad was more so lenient about it. He's like, you know, his his idea was, you know what you need to do, so do it. I was fairly, like, I was kind of, like, on my own, able to do what I wanted to do. And by the time I got, like, to middle school, probably seventh, eighth grade, it was really like not a lot. School wasn't really on my radar like that. So DeAndre had a reasonably normal childhood, but wouldn't have a terribly close relationship with his paternal father. That was until tragedy struck when he was just 12 years old and his mother would pass away. Yeah, it was it was really hard. And you know, my mom, she not only was my mother, but she was like my best friend. Like my mom was, she was like my everything. She was the greatest person I've known in my life. She was my my role model, my mentor, my hero. Like my mom was my everything. But one of the things that she did teach us that I hung on was, hey, you know, even with stuff like that, she like things happen. When they do happen, you have a choice. Either you can fall under the pressure, or you can. You know what I'm saying? Turn it to a diamond. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what she healed in us. Like, hey, this when stuff happens, you got to take it in stride. You got to keep on moving forward. After his mother passes, DeAndre moves in with his father, who was a lot more relaxed when it came to making sure young DeAndre was keeping up with schoolwork and, more importantly, keeping out of trouble. I had an opportunity to move in with, you know, different, some other family members, but I felt that. This was an opportunity for me and him to kind of develop our bond and our relationship. So I chose to do that in lieu of, you know, say moving with my other family. I thought, I know it's kind of difficult for him because it was kind of difficult for me as well. Yeah. You know, because like I said, we had a relationship, but it wasn't the, you know, say typical father son relationship. It wasn't really solidified like that, you know. Um, and then with me going through the stuff that I was going through with the loss of my mother, you know, I wasn't the easiest person to deal with myself. Did you ever get in tr- trouble with the law while you were younger? 
Oh yeah, see, and that, that's around the time that a lot of that stuff started happening when I was probably like 15 or so, like headed into high school. You know, uh, I had a couple run-ins with the law, uh, and it was more so of me hanging out with the wrong people. Yeah. You know, uh, I started dealing with some, some gang stuff and, you know, being out in the streets and things. And, and he was trying, like, my my father, he did, you know what I'm saying, speak with me. He did his best to strive to, to steer me in a, in a better direction. You know, it was just, I think at that time, you know, looking back on it now, like, I was really hurt. And I didn't know how to deal with the hurt, you know. So, you know, that's when I started, like, drinking and stuff like that, dabbling around with, you know, smoking marijuana and things and, you know, just hanging out with my friends. And I, I just found my comfort just doing that instead of, like, moving in accordance to how I should have been moving. Yeah. So at 15, I wound up getting locked up and went to juvenile for conspiracy to commit attempt murder and armed robbery. Wow. The, like, the situation was I was with a group of people. Something happened where a guy tried to rob a guy and we all got caught up and the judge basically said since I didn't do anything to stop it even though she knew that I didn't have anything to do with the actual robbery and the shooting of the individual she said I didn't do anything to stop it and I didn't call the police afterwards so I was just as culpable and this is like 15 years old and I'm just like I didn't like what was I supposed to do you know thinking in my head like what was I supposed to do like but, you know, I wound up going to juvenile for that. And how long were you given? I wound up, okay, I went in and was about 15, maybe because I did about a year fighting the case. It was probably 16 when I finally got locked up. And I was supposed to be committed until my 18th birthday. So I wound up uh, doing like a year. No matter of fact, it was to my 21st birthday. I was committed to my 21st birthday. I did a year and some change in a juvenile prison in Texas. They actually transferred us from Michigan to Texas, and I was at a place called, yeah, it was a place called Recor in Kerrville, Texas, and I probably did like a year and some, like a year, a year and a half down there, and then I was on probation until I was 21. What was um, juvenile like in Texas? Oh, uh, man, it was, the place that I was at, it was basically like a holding holding pen it's like they didn't it wasn't really much going on they didn't have a lot of programs and stuff like that like you you get your GED or finish your high school diploma but that was roughly about it and you just was locked down most of the day you came out like an hour a day for rec and you went to school and then you was locked in your unit for most of the time after that it wasn't wasn't really like a like like say a hard type of time but it was difficult in the way of like being away from your family the isolation and things of that nature but I mean it sucked but it wasn't like like I said it wasn't like you know you getting jumped on or beat up or the staff was abusing people or stuff like that it wasn't one of those kind of situations but it just this was tough time so he's gone off the rails and found himself locked up However, after some time spent behind bars, he would be out on parole and looks to try and sort his life out and get himself back on track, starting with his education. Oh, yeah, I started working. I actually had a couple jobs. I, was, I started going to school, but a situation with my transcripts had 
wound up making me have to pull out of school. I was in college at that time, and I had to pull out because there was a situation with my transcripts, and they couldn't find my uh, complete GED transcripts. So I had to wind up going through that all over again. I wound up uh, going to Job Corps and finishing getting my GED. I actually worked at a couple places. I kept I kept a job. I stayed employed, you know, uh, and did what I had to do in order to finish, make sure I had, you know, proof of my education to finish that out. I kind of kept my nose clean until probably like around age 23. I wound up getting caught up in some stuff and going to prison for a drug case. Yet again, DeAndre's back behind bars after being arrested for possession. Although he says he doesn't deny that he was involved in selling some drugs, he says the day of his arrest at his home, the Detroit police would in fact set him up when they couldn't find what it is that they were looking for. When you live in Detroit, it's, it's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of corruption in the city, you know, and in the most major cities. But uh, in Detroit, there they, they have a lot of it's, it's a lot of shady stuff going on in the city dealing with the police and, and the, the Justice Department in general. So there was a situation with this situation. I uh, now I'm not saying that I wasn't doing anything because I was, uh, but the police had wound up kicking in my door, raiding my house, and they had confidential informants who said that I was selling drugs. I'll admit that I was selling drugs, but I did not have any drugs in my house. I did not have any kind of business conducted where I was slept at. And when they ran up in my house, they didn't find anything in the house. So the police came back in and dropped a bag on my uh, living room table and said, either you tell us who you get your stuff from, you give us somebody else who we can go to, or that's yours and you going to jail. And I was like, you know... I don't know what y'all talking about. Like, that's not mine. Y'all bring that in here. I'm not, that's, I'm not doing it. I'm not telling y'all nothing. And at the time, they had my uh, my oldest daughter's mother was pregnant. And they was like, well, either you tell us or she going to jail because her name is on everything. You know, as far as, like, the house and the, the bills that was coming to the house and stuff like that, and the mails, like, we see her name on everything. If you don't tell us what we want to know, we taking her to jail. And I was just like, man, listen, y'all do what y'all want to do. I'm not letting y'all take her. I was like, y'all can take me. And they was like, so are you saying that this is yours? I was like, I'm not saying that it's mine, but what I'm saying is if anybody going to go to jail, y'all can take me. Y'all not taking her. So then I wound up going to jail for that. And I wound up doing four and a half years behind that case and got her back out on parole again. Did you have a trial over that case, or did you just take a plea, or what yeah. happened? I, definitely, I had a trial because I took it to trial, and what happened during trial is they had two warrants. Now, one of the warrants was messed up. The initial warrant was not even to that address. And what they did is they issued a second warrant. At this time, I had a court-appointed attorney. And my daughter's mother, you know what I'm saying, when I talked to her, I was like, hey, you know what I'm saying, These, this paperwork don't add up. This paperwork is wrong. If you look, I told her, I say, this don't even have the right address on it. I said, man, go to the attorney and take him that paperwork and show him that it don't have that right address on it. When she wound up taking it to him, he told me, he's like, oh, this is not this, this is nothing. It's, it's not going to even matter. I'm like, yeah, it do matter. He never brung it up. And this, I had a court-appointed attorney at this time. He never brung it up. He was like, oh, we, we just going to fight the fact that they don't have your fingerprints on this stuff and this, that, other thing. This is nothing. 
and he wound up just, like, brushing it off. So when I went to trial, they wound up finding me guilty of possession. And because I had a felony on my record, they were like, you guys fell into possession of a firearm because I had a firearm in the home to protect the, to protect the home because I was living in a, in a neighborhood that was kind of dangerous. Uh, so I got two years for that, and then I got a year and a couple months for the drugs. Two years and a couple months for the drugs. It's interesting. One thing that almost everyone says to me when they find out what I do for a living is the same. Let me guess, they're all innocent. It's almost a running joke now. No one in prison is guilty, right? The other thing we always seem to hear banded around as a joke is, let me guess, that's not yours. Or people saying they had things planted on them. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to start playing the violins for DeAndre. He's openly admitted he was selling drugs. And at the end of the day, if he wasn't doing this, the chances are police probably wouldn't have been in his home that day. However, when he said that he'd had drugs planted on him that day, I thought I'd do a quick search online about the Detroit police and see if there had in fact been any evidence of corruption around drugs. And in fact, an article published in 2019 details an investigation into the Detroit Police Department's narcotics unit. You can call it cops on a tape. Bribery is criminal. The police chief says the evidence so far, narcs were taking drug dealers' money, not arresting them, turning them into confidential informants to be paid and embezzling that city money. The unit itself was raided in August of 2019, with files going back a decade seized along with computers. The investigation found that some of the officers from the unit had not only planted drugs on suspects, but also lied to prosecutors in order to get search warrants. And, in some cases, stolen money from drug dealers. The other evidence gathered so far, false affidavits used to get search warrants and drugs planted. The potential ramifications are huge. One of the investigators on the case is a retired U.S. attorney. This could taint drug cases now and in the past with people convicted. In fact, on the day of the raids, one officer was indicted on federal charges related to bribes that he had received from a drug dealer. Chief James Craig at the time stated that he believed, sadly, the more they continued to probe, the more he believed it would grow in terms of magnitude. The chief has brought in additional investigators from the FBI, state police and others for a total of 17. And get this, they've set up a hotline for drug dealers, clean cops and anyone with information about corruption to call in. So DeAndre heads back behind bars and does around four years until he's back up for parole. Came up for parole, got parole, went home. And at this point in time, I was just like, I'm done with everything. Like, I'm, I'm done hanging with people. I'm done dealing with people. That's in some nonsense. So like, like, I'm really, like, focused on getting my life together. And that's when I started. When I came home, I started going back to school. I actually got a job. I was working at UPS. And I was going to Wayne County Community College, actually was getting 4.0, everything, you know. I was doing everything I could to just stay out of trouble. I wound up getting married at that time, you know, and uh, really trying to just live a calm life, just live on the right path, not get involved in anything, not be around anything. I wasn't even ripping and running the streets like that, nothing. When you said you get you got married, was that to your your first child's mother? No. Now, see, this is another, like, with me and women, this is, this is a topic all the way in itself. 
I have eight children. Eight? Eight children. And eight different mothers. Yes, you heard that correctly. DeAndre has eight children to eight separate mothers. Now, this does become important as DeAndre's story progresses, as different allegations are made against him, especially via the media about his particular lifestyle and allegations that we will address with him later. But for now, he explains to me why he believes he has found it difficult to maintain any sort of relationship long term and why he would bounce from one to the next. Like I say, when I lost my mother, it was a hard thing for me. And I understand now, like with self-reflection and things of that nature that I've done, I understand now, like I was looking for women to fill that void that was left by her, you know, because like I say, that was my, that was my everything. So I was constantly going from relationship to relationship, looking for somebody to fill that void that was left by her passing. You know, when you don't really even know yourself, it's kind of hard for you to get to know someone else. So my first child I had when I was 15. That's my oldest son. You had a kid when you were 15? Yes, I was 15. Wow. My oldest son when I was 15. And then I have a daughter that's a little bit older than him that I just realized I didn't even know she existed. My daughter did an Ancestry DNA. My, my, my daughter, Atlanta, did an Ancestry DNA kit that I asked her to do just in case, you know, at any time that Bianca decided that she might want to do one of those type of things because I've heard that there have been missing children that have been found due to Ancestry DNA. So I told my daughter, Alandra, to do an Ancestry DNA kit and wind up finding out that I had another daughter who was given up for adoption when she was born, when she was a baby, and I didn't even know anything about her. That was a surprise in itself. It was crazy. I bet. Yeah. So, okay. uh, I have four boys and four girls. Wow. And one, let's say this, this was, this is when I got married after I came home from prison, that was the second marriage. I got married, I got married first when I was 21. That marriage lasted about a year. And we both, if you thought the best thing to do was just to separate and part ways. But when I came home from prison, I wound up getting into a relationship with a woman who was, very supportive, you know, she she was really invested in me doing the best that I could do. And I needed that at that time. Um, she had some issues of her own that made the relationship kind of difficult, but we, we, we stuck it out and went through it anyway, which eventually we did. We both wound up realizing that it wasn't a healthy relationship either. But you're still still working with UPS and still doing still doing well. Yep, I was I was still still doing well, still working, still uh, dealing with UPS, still working, at, still going to school. Then there was a time there came a time in which I was transferring schools. I went from Wayne County Community College and transferred to Wayne State University. Then it was like a lot of stuff started happening, and things kind of in my marriage started getting rocky and shaky, and you know that kind of was you know disintegrating and you know, other things with family and things were going on. And I just, it was a lot of stress and anxiety. You have one minute remaining. And that's all we've got time for. But still to come, DeAndre talks me through what he says happened the day that his daughter would disappear. He's like, get back, get back. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, hey, my daughter's in the car. Let me get my daughter out the car. And DeAndre says that he felt straight away that the police were instantly looking at him. They were asking me questions. One thing that I do recall 
there was a, a female cop. She's like, oh, he has a record. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. Mm-hmm.